Uh, amen to that. Thank you so much, Josiah. I appreciate that. Go ahead and get out your Bibles and um, your uh, writing utensils. Hopefully you brought something to take notes, something to uh, remember these services, each one. That'll help you be able to look back uh, when we get the end of it and uh, assess what the Lord has done each service, each day. Brother Jeremiah, thanks for being here. Come and preach to us, sir. All right. Good morning. That was weak. Let's try it again. Good morning. All right, well, the girls are awake. Uh, the guys didn't get much sleep, I'm going to guess. And hopefully you can get some sleep on the way to the Central, whatever it is, Central Land Fun Park. Was it Central? Central Park Funland. Okay, I, <laughs> I'm going to get it. It is a fun park, fun land, something like that. Um, how many of you have been there before? Oh, wow, not very many. Wow. These things are kind of fun. I was a youth pastor in Indiana, and so we had a place called, wait, I forgot what it was called. Uh, it's not coming to me, but it was, a, wait, the something something pizza factory. And so you think, oh, great. But what was cool about it was they always had pizza at any time you could go and get pizza. And they had go-karts as well, and, uh, but the go-karts were inside. That was pretty, what? Yeah, or bumper cars, one of the two. I didn't, I didn't partake in that. Uh, but they had all kinds of stuff like that. But anytime you wanted, you could go and eat pizza off this buffet. And the giant room that they had to go eat in was always playing some kind of a, you know, animated film or something. So, like, we rented it the whole night and stayed there. So you could always go in and out and then have fun. And we had a couple other churches with us, but that was a lot of fun. They actually had a, uh, a room that you could go through that you start in one, and the goal was to get to the other end without, without touching a laser. So they had all these lasers shooting across the room, and you could see the laser in there. I don't know how they did that, but you could see the laser across the room, and you had to like, you know, step your way through, crawl on the floor, or whatever, to try to get through the laser maze. I don't know what it was called. And so that was pretty neat. I don't think I did that either. Um, they had putt-putt in there. They had all kinds of stuff like that. I'm the kind of person that... If, if there's like a papa shot, I'm like, I could be there all night long shooting a basketball until my arm is sore. They had a giant, um, those little those machines you go to and you grab a little joystick and you got the claw, right, from uh, Toy Story. And so they had a giant one of those. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, uh, I hope you guys had a, a good rest last night. I hope you had a good time last night with Grog. I think I've been to other churches that played a game called Grog, but I don't think it was like that game. <laughs> it was a, a full church building and people running chaotically. But yeah, it seems like the rules are way different depending on where you are uh, about that game. But I wish I'd have known that game when I was in high school because we had a really cool church building that could have worked. It was big and it was old and it was built onto their old auditorium and it had basements and it had like rooms that nobody was ever supposed to go in, kind of creepy places. And so it would have been, it would have been fantastic to play that in, but I'm sure that, you know, poles in the basement kind of thing where you're running in the dark, you're going to find one, okay? You're going to find one the wrong way. Uh, yeah, it just would have been really cool to do that game. So uh, I can see that in the future when you have other buildings and things, it's going to be connected. Okay, so you don't have to go outside. That's good. Um, you might find the wrong kind of grog outside. <laughs> um, so let me ask you some questions. Okay, we got a little bit of time. Not much, but a little bit. Um, favorite Bible story? Favorite Bible story? 
Okay, raise your hand, I'll call on you, and you can tell me your favorite. Oh, thank you for being the first person. If I had candy to throw you, I would. I don't even have money in my pockets. Uh, favorite Bible story? Oh, really? I've never heard anybody say that, but that's great. Thief on the cross, yes. Z Hi, Zach. Yeah, <laughs> I got that. Yeah. Lion's Den, yep. Or Den of Lions, because there were lions in it. Yes. Nehemiah, rebuilding the wall and all that. That's good. That's good. There's some things connected to that that I really like. Somebody else? Yes. Esther, Esther fantastic story. Yes, sir. Who in, Moses in the desert? Jesus in the desert. Okay, temptation. You know, there's something about that that I just read the other day, because it's in a couple of different Gospels, but I think it's the book of Mark that it talks about that when, by the end of that time, that it says that Jesus was like with the beasts or with the creatures, and what some people believe about that, and I kind of tend to believe that, is, you know, in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a strange thing for Eve to talk to the snake. Like She wasn't like, oh, this is weird, a snake is talking to me. And so people believed that there was better interaction between humans and animals, and, and that part of the curse is that there's a fear that's there between people and animals. Um, so we also see in the book of Revelation where the lion will lay down with the lamb or Isaiah and some of the prophecies of that, that nature won't be, uh, you know, carnivorous against each other and then maybe, maybe that relationship between humans and animals and that that is a sign of that, that Jesus was out in the wilderness and the animals were drawn to him in a, in a positive way. And I'm like, that is really cool. So there was a hand up here, somebody, yes. Jericho. That's a good one. That's a good one. Eden? Good. That's one of the ones I want to talk about. But it's not, it's not our lesson today. Ehud. Okay. One of my favorite things. We'll just transition right now since you hit that. One of my favorite things about the Bible is you have these stories that God does not leave out the gory details. Right? And Ehud is one of those. Ehud is the guy who is left-handed, which means he was handicapped. Um... <laughs> Not because he's left-handed, okay? Most likely he was handicapped because in a lot of those Eastern cultures and in those days, uh, you didn't use your left hand publicly and there's reasons for that. But So sometimes when a person would be stated that they were left-handed, it's because either they were born without the use of their right hand, maybe it was some kind of deformity, or they had lost that right hand in some kind of a battle or something like that. But, but it's believed that it was most likely that he did not have the use of that hand. And so he was left-handed, which also explains why when he walked into that palace to speak with Eglon the king, that they didn't really check him for weapons. You know, I mean, even today when you go to the airport, they, you know, well, they, they might pat you down. And they pat you down on both sides. They're not like, well, which hand are you? I'm going to check the other side. And so that's one reason why people believe they didn't check for that. So Ehud goes in there and he says, I got a gift for the king. And so the king is, is in there and the king is... The Bible says he's a very fat man. And so Ehud takes that sword or that dagger and stabs him with it. Amen, right? He stabs him with it. And the Bible says that, that, it, that the, the fat closed in upon it. I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know, okay? I don't know if it's because he like pushed it that far in or he pushed it in and the fat was just like, you know? I don't know. I don't know if he was like, ah! I wanted that, <laughs> you know, like, can I have that back? I don't know. 
but it closed in upon the handle and the hilt. And then, why God put this in there? I think he put it in there for us, okay? Because so, we could enjoy a Bible story. Because honestly, like, I don't see any other reason why it's there. It says that the dirt came out, right? And there's speculation. But it's obviously what was inside, which is ooey-gooey and nasty, right, comes out. It comes out of his stomach. And, uh, and then that's recorded for us, right? It wasn't recorded by... Eglon's people, it was recorded probably by Ehud. Ehud come and came back and said, guys, you got to wait till I tell you what happened to me today. You know, they're like, did you wash your hand? And he's like, oh, man, I was just trying to get out of there. Um, but, but that's awesome, right? And I think of David and Goliath, right? You know, he throws, a little boy gets to throw rocks and not get in trouble for it. In fact, it's a good thing. I like that. But then it says at the end of the story that he took Goliath's sword and he cut his head off, Right? Not his own head, but he cut Goliath's head off. And I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say this. I kind of wish it did. It, did it, was it one swing? Was it a sharp sword? Or did he have to like hack Goliath's head off, right? And then it says he like picks it up. And I mean, Goliath, Goliath I'm sure he had a big head, right? Can you imagine a, a 10-foot guy with a normal-sized head? <laughs> It'd be like this tiny head on a giant body. I think it's funny. But it could have been, I mean, it, I don't know, it could have been this big old head. And he's holding that up, and I love that. Today we have a story that is very similar. Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. It's a great account where there's a gory detail in it. A gory detail in this great story. In fact, there's five main characters, three men and two women. And the three men, one is a good guy, two are bad guys, and of the girls, they're, they're both good. They're both good girls. And they both have their different roles in this. But the two bad guys, you have Jabin. Jabin is the king of Canaan, and some people believe that means it was like a confederacy of kingdoms. And, but Jabin's right arm, the strength of his kingdom, was a man named Sisera. Okay, Jabin's the king, bad guy. Sisera is the captain of his armies. And the thing about Sisera's armies was that it says that he had 900 chariots of iron. And a feature about those chariots of iron, and you think about this, in the, in the wars back in those days, if you rode a horse, it was a good thing, not just because you were on a horse, but because what, what you would do is you would line up the horses close to each other so that when you would go into battle, the thing that you would do is just just charge right through the, the enemy host, right? So it really didn't even matter. You're like, oh, we're going to be scattered out, so these horses, no, no, no. They're just going to like wall up and run you over. So the horse did a lot of damage, right? And maybe they had a, a spear or something that they, or they'd swing their sword or whatever the case would be, but the horse would be intimidating, you know? I mean, even if somebody's riding a motorcycle towards me, I'm like, well, I don't want to get hit by the motorcycle. You know, forget this guy's sword. I don't want to get run over by a horse, chariots like multiplied that because the chariot I'm just going to guess it was about four feet wide which it could have been wider it could have been six feet I don't know but it was a chariot of iron so it was heavy and so this way the horses can be more spread out and then you'd probably have a driver and you'd maybe have somebody in that that in that chariot that also had a bow or something like that but beyond that they say that those chariot wheels often had blades fixed to them that would stick out sometimes as much as four feet 
So now let's just assume you've got a four foot chariot with four foot blades on each side. You have 12 feet of lethal. You don't want to get run over by a horse in the chariot. And you also don't want to get hit by those blades that are spinning on those wheels. Now, I don't know how wide they were, but here's the case. 900 chariots, if you split that in half, so you had two rows, one row of 450 and another row of 450, if they were 12 feet wide, side by side by side, with not even an inch between them, which would be impossible to, to maintain that going forward, it would be over a mile wide. So basically, you have a mile wide of chariot, two layers deep. It doesn't matter what you have. If you're on your feet, they're just going to literally mow you over. Blades and everything. So it was very intimidating. And often in those days, when, when, a, when a people group was conquered like that in the area, they would take their weapons from them. Because people without weapons can't fight back. And sometimes they would even take their blacksmiths and not allow them to create weapons or anything like that because, yeah, that, would, that, would, that defeats the purpose. So you have this conquering people. Let's pick it up in verse number one. We'll read a couple verses and then I'll tell the story. And the children of Israel did evil, again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud, there's your guy, was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, we talked about these guys, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he, that's Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron. Twenty years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapotus, judged Israel at that time, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. So here's, what, here's the story. They have been oppressed for 20 years. They can't really fight back. But there's this lady named Deborah. And Deborah was a prophetess and a judge. That means she spoke for God and she was a judge. And she dwelt in this place where everybody knew to find her. So if, you know, if two people had a dispute, hey, your cow gored my cow and killed him, took his horn and just stuck it through his head or something, you know, and like, hey, whose fault is that? Well, it's just my cow's fault. That's, I mean, it's just... What do animals do? And the other guy's like, no, he killed my cow. Like, doesn't he owe me something? And so they would go and they would go to Deborah and say, hey, Deborah, what does God say about this? Because there are things in God's law. And she would speak as a judge. And, and it is interesting that she is a woman, but it, the Bible is clear on this in several areas that that's not God's intention. In fact, basically what God says, if you're going to act like children, I'm going to treat you like a child and I'm going to give you a mother. And we can see in this passage that the men of Israel were not doing what God had asked the men of Israel to do. They weren't standing up and being the men that God wanted them to be. Even Barak, the one good guy, he's kind of like, okay, I'm only doing this because she's telling me to, and I need her to come up to battle with me because she's the one that God's speaking to. God's not speaking to me except through her. And so she comes to Barak, and Barak's the one good guy. Barak's the leader of this army, but it's only two of the tribes. And she says, Barak, gather the army and go up to Mount Tabor. And in Mount Tabor, God is going to deliver these people to you. In fact, it says that he will draw them, Sisera and his 900 chariots, to a certain place by this river, Kishon. And, and that he, in that place, will deliver them into your hands. And so, so uh, Barak says, well, look, I'll do this. I'll take the 10,000 men like you told me to, and I'll take them to Mount Tabor, and, and I'm going to trust you. But 
you've got to come with me. Since God's speaking to you and not me, I want you there so that I can know what to do. And she said, sure, that's fine, but I want you to know that you're not going to get the honor from this battle, but God is going to give the honor of this battle to a woman. Well, that, he's like, you know, I got 10,000 people plus me. You know, he's probably like, oh, it's probably going to be you because he's like, but that's fine. We want to be delivered out of these people's hands. And so then the Bible tells us there's a man named Eber. Now, Eber really doesn't matter, except that Eber has separated from the people group that he is with. He's not Jewish, and he lives on this mountainside near Mount Tabor. And he's kind of a friend to Jabin and Sisera, but that's where he is. And he, or somebody in his camp, says to Sisera, hey, Sisera, look, there's Barak and his army up on Mount Tabor. Now, I realize you've never... Anybody of you been to Israel? But Scott has. You've not been to Israel? You just ran and hid. No. <laughs> that's right, that's right, I saw that. Uh, well, if you look, like you type it out on your um, computer, you say Mount Tabor, you'll find a mountain that's like a North Carolina mountain where you're like, that's not really a mountain, it's just a big hill, okay? And really, that's what it looks like. You have this flat valley, and then you have this giant hill, and it doesn't even look like there's many trees on it. So from a distance, if a man had 10,000 people for an army, you'd be like, oh yeah, they're up there. Well, that's what was told. Sisera's like, hey, look, they're up there. Now, in the middle, there's a couple other mountains, and in the middle, there's this giant flat valley with a river that goes in between. Now, if you're a guy with chariots, do you want to fight in the mountains or in the flat valley? You want to fight in the flat valley where, where you can run your chariots, right? And so what does he do? He goes to the flat valley. That's where the river is, exactly like God said he would do. And the Bible says that, that Deborah looked at Barak and said, hey, look, that's where God said that he would draw them. Now is the time for you to go and fight them. Okay, um, we're on foot. They're on chariots. We're in this flat valley. That doesn't sound like a good plan, does it? It sounds like we're going to go to the exact place where they want us to be so that they can mow us down. But they had to have faith. They had to trust that what God said was going to happen. Did it make sense? No. Other than this is what God says to do and you've got to trust God. And when you do trust God and when you do obey God, good things always happen. So that's what they did. And the Bible says that God discomforted, discomforted them. Like, just made things bad for them. Now, if you go to this chapter 5, which we're not going to go there, but there's a couple verses there that tell us, this is called the Song of Deborah. Deborah is singing this song or telling this song as a song of victory about what God did in that battle. And she says, I think it's verse 4, that the clouds dropped, basically that it rained, that it rained, and when, the, when it rained, it says the mountains melted. Now, whether there were landslides, I don't know, but it's pretty obvious what happened. It rained in that valley, and the water from the mountains, obviously, it goes downhill into the valley, and the river overflowed. We just had a lot of rain here, but where I live in North Carolina, it just rained, and the water was going crazy. There's some creeks down from where, where I live at my house, and those creeks, I'd never seen them like that. We had trees falling down because they were being uprooted because of the moisture that was already in the ground. A friend of mine has a pond at his place, and you send me pictures of like how it's overflowing or almost overflowing, all these things. And that's what happens, right? All that water goes into those rivers and ponds and overflows, and that's what happened in that valley. And what happens in a valley when the water comes up? It makes mud, doesn't it? 
It makes mud. It's not very good for chariots, is it? Those heavy iron chariots are now sinking in the mud. And in fact, it says that Sisera panics. That Sisera's like, this is not good. And so he gets off and runs from his chariot. Now, if you're reading just chapter 4, you're like, why would you get out of your chariot? The chariot's the best place to be. Not when it's muddy and those horses can't pull the chariot through the mud. Well, it makes perfect sense that God stuck those chariots in the mud so that the children of Israel could go and destroy the army. And the Bible tells us that not one man was left except one guy, Sisera. And Sisera runs away, like Scott to Greece. No, just kidding. <laughs> so he runs away. And he goes up into the mountainside, and Heber's wife, remember Heber camped on the mountain? Heber's wife is there, and so he goes up to her tent, and he's like, I'm tired. I've been running from this battle. Could you, could you hide me? And, 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 and I'll go into your tent, and when anybody comes by, tell them that there's not a man here. So she's like, sure. So he goes in and covers him with a, a rug or, or a blanket or something like that to kind of hide him, and he's tired, and he asks her for some water so she brings him some milk and it was probably warm milk and warm milk it, it's harder for your body to digest plus it makes your blood a little warm and he was already warm so he just he fell asleep he fell asleep hiding there uh, catching his breath his heart rate was dropping and there he goes to sleep and so while he's asleep what does she do the bible tells us that she grabbed a, a mallet or a hammer and a tent and a tent stake and she went up to him and drove the tent stake through the temple of his head into the ground. She didn't stop when it was three, four inches into his head. She went all the way into the ground. And then, and then uh, Barak's people come, and she's like, hey, you're looking for a guy? He's in there on the floor. He's dead. And they found him with his head stuck to the ground with his tent stake. You know, some people, my wife was like, why did she use that tent stake? Well, I was doing some reading on it, and back in those days, it was the woman's job to, to pitch the tent. So it wasn't anything for her to know how to do that, to, to use that mallet and that, that tent stake. But I'm like, you know, you didn't have a sword in there anywhere, you know, where you could stick him in the back or something while he's sleeping or cut his throat with a knife. You didn't have anything like that. You chose a hammer and a nail, a tent stake. How many of you girls could say, I'd do that? None. Christina, you wouldn't do that? Maybe, maybe. Watch out. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> he wears a helmet to bed now. <laughs> so, but I love that. I'm like, good for her. One of my daughters is like their favorite Bible character because, uh, because she did that to him. Now, at the end of the story, it says very clearly, I'll turn to it, Judges chapter 4 and verse 23, so God subdued. On that day, Jabin, king of Canaan, before Israel. I think it's pretty obvious, right? Because they were outnumbered. They were outgunned. They didn't have 900 chariots of iron. And in the way it happened, this lady, Jael, is not even Jewish. And God used her. I mean, of all the directions for Sisera to run, he ran straight to where they were camped and tried to hide. And God said, nope. It doesn't, and none of it matters because I'm doing this. Now, as I read this story, I said to myself, what does this mean? How can this help me? God puts these things in there for a reason. And I, so I would read it and I would read it. And there's something that stood out in verse number one. It says, and the children of Israel again did evil. Seven times in the book of Judges, the Bible says that they did evil. And sometimes it says they did evil again. 
This is the only time, not only in the book of Judges, but it's the only time in all the Bible where it says, again, first, again, they did evil. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but it says that. But let me ask you this. You're trying to walk with God. You're trying to do what's right. Are you ever frustrated with yourself where you sin and you say to yourself, I did that again? Again? You know what I'm talking about? That frustration where you're like, I don't want to sin this way. I'm tired of being angry at my parents. I'm tired of blowing up at the first thing that one of my siblings does to me, and I get angry, and I end up saying something, I end up doing something that I really don't want to do, and now there are consequences, now I feel guilty, and I am frustrated with that. Maybe you have another sin in your life that makes you feel so dirty and so guilty. And you're trying to get away from that sin, and yet you sin again, and you say, again? Well, that's kind of what it says about them. Over and over in this book. We could go to chapter 2, we could go to chapter 3, and here we are in chapter 4. It says it in chapter 6, it says it in chapter 10, it says it in chapter 13, that they did evil again. And every time, because this is a pattern of people. This is what we do. I'm there too. There's times that I say, Lord, I can't believe I sinned again in this way. I'm trying to have victory here. But that's the way we are. We have this whole flesh. We are tempted. And sometimes we give in. And every time, in all those, chapter 2, 3, 4, 6, 10, 13, every time it says that God sold them into the hand of their enemies, the spoilers, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the uh, Philistines, the Canaanites, says the Philistines another time, over and over and over again. The people that they were supposed to be conquering, that God said, I'm going to use my hand to conquer them for you, but because you sin, you go into bondage. By the way, that's the truth in your life as much as it is in mine, that when we sin, we are selling by our choice ourselves into the bondage of that sin. Paul said it this way. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, he said that when I have this law, uh, I'm not saying it right. I'm going to say, I'm going to read it. But I see another law in my members, my body, warring against the law of my mind. I know what I should do. I know what God says to do. That's in my heart. That's in my mind. But, but I know that when I have this, there's a war that goes on. How many of you feel like, yeah, yeah, there's a war in my life between what I want to do and what my body wants to do. Yeah, if you're honest, you'll admit that, that there is a war. And he says, it brings me into captivity, into bondage to the law of sin that is in my members. That when I choose to do wrong, I'm putting myself in bondage to sin. That's exactly where they were. And maybe that's exactly where you are. That again, you fall into that. Sin always has consequences. But there's another thing about that again. God, again, delivers. You know, every time, every time that they sinned, were sold into bondage, it says that they cried unto the Lord. Every time. Remember in Egypt? It says that they cried by reason of their taskmasters and that they were groaning and God heard their groaning and he sent a deliverer. He sent Moses. He sent Ehud. Ehud was the deliverer. In chapter 13, it's Samson. We know that. 
In chapter 6, it's Gideon. Here, it's Deborah, Barak, and Jael. God always sends a deliverer. Why was it they sinned again and were sold again into slavery, into bondage? Because God delivered them from the last time. Because they cried again. They cried again. They said, Lord, this is terrible. We don't like where we are. I don't like this sin. I don't like the bondage. And so God always, listen, God always sends a deliverer every time. You know the good news is for you and me? We have the ultimate deliverer. His name is Jesus. You know what, you know what Jesus means? It literally in Hebrew means Jehovah saves, or you could also say it this way, Jehovah delivers, because that's who God is. He always delivers, because he always hears. When you cry out to the Lord, God, listen, always hears. I love this verse, Isaiah 65, 24, says that it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. You know what that means? That means God is, is like that mother who when she puts her child to bed, even if she's asleep, her ear is open towards her child. She's listening for that child to, to cry because they dropped their pacifier or because, they, because they're hungry or because their diaper is full, right? And they're like, I'm miserable over here and mom's going to come in and deliver. That's exactly what God is doing. His ear is toward you, specifically. So that when you sin again and when you're in bondage again and you cry out to him again, he is going to hear again. He's going to send to deliver again. He sent Jesus Christ so that your sin can be forgiven. And I know you feel like, how can I confess when it feels like that's all I'm doing? Is God even forgiving me? Yes, he is. Every time. The Bible says that he is faithful, always there to forgive and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel dirty and guilty. He forgives. Because God always hears. He's always there. That's another thing about it. He's always there. Deborah was there the whole time. Right? God was speaking through Deborah the whole time. They weren't listening. But they knew where to find Deborah. They knew when they needed answers from God, that's where they should go. So it's not that God left them. They left God. Hello? Amen? Isn't that where we are? It's not that God leaves us and that's why we fall into sin or we choose to sin and we feel guilty and we're in this bondage. It's because we left him. There's a place of peace and rest and joy in all the things that God wants to give us. And it's not in the place of sin. Can I encourage you? Come to God again. Because there's a third thing. There's victory again. There's victory again. They had the victory because of what God did for them. Cry to the Lord. That's the first thing. If you want to have victory in your life, the first thing you need to do is cry to the Lord. When you sin, cry to the Lord. Why? Because he always hears. He'll hear you again. David said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. My iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. There's times when we need to just go to God. Say, Lord, this is what I've done again. Cry to the Lord. The steps of victory, cry to the Lord too, Trust him and obey. It may not feel good. It may not feel right. The steps of victory might not feel right. But you have to trust the Lord. You think about Barak, right? He had to go to this valley, a better battleground for chariots, 
against an army that he was really not prepared to fight, but he had to trust the Lord. He had to trust that this is what God wanted for him and obey that command. And when he did, God did the rest. You know, God is so good to us. Where do you think those chariots went when the entire army of Jabin and Sisera died? Do you think they just left them there? I wouldn't have. I'd have been like, look, I either, I have a souvenir, either an army takes them or I have a souvenir. I'm taking this home and I'm driving my family to church in my chariot, okay? I'm going to use those blades to mow my grass. You know, I'm just going to drive that chariot back and forth in my yard until it cuts the grass. No, you know what I'm saying. God blessed them with those things. These were symbols of their defeat, and God gave them as trophies of their victory. That's what God wants to do in your life. God can even use your failures as a blessing to help somebody else because you can say, hey, look, this was the thing that dominated me and God gave me the victory. That's who our God is. You know, we look at the cross as a symbol of victory. It's something we celebrate. There's one up on the wall, right? But at the time, it looked like a symbol of defeat. Oh, I can't believe Jesus is dying. We expected him to, to, to be our king, to live forever, but, but he's being defeated. No, no, that's the symbol of our victory. It is him that paid for that sin, and we know that the cross is empty. There's nobody on it anymore because Christ rose again from the dead. That's the victory that we have. The victory that has power over death is the victory that has power over your sin. Yes, you might sin again. In fact, you will. You will sin again. But remember, God will hear you again. He will forgive you again. He will receive you again. You can have victory again. Isn't this the story of Genesis to Revelation? That although we take the things that God has given us and we kind of ruin them, that God redeems it. In fact, the Bible tells us that by the end that he makes all things new. Everything that we have broken, he'll fix. He'll fix. He'll make it new again. Because that's who he is. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, this story seems like, man, one of the craziest stories, one of the wildest things. Why did God put it there? Because he wants to remind you that he knows you sin again, but he'll hear you again. He'll forgive you again. This is not an excuse for sin. I'm not talking to people this morning that you're like, I don't really care. I'm talking to people that say, I do care. I do want to do right. I, I do want to follow God. I do want to have victory. Then as soon as you sin, ask him for forgiveness. Take the steps. Cry to the Lord and trust and obey him. And that's where victory is. Every time. It's that simple. God says, I want to be there for you. But you've got to come back again. Maybe in your heart today, you would say, that's me. God spoke directly to my heart that I need to be getting right with God again and again and again. And I'm willing to do that. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Praise the Lord all across the room. We're going to have a, a, an invitation in just a second. When we do, here's what we'd like. You know, if, if, if there's just something you need to pray about, then you can come right here to the front and you can pray right here at the altar. Or if there's something you say, you know what, I need help with this. Uh, this is a sin that just keeps dominating my life and I need a little bit of accountability here. I need some help. Look, this is not so, we're not going to air this in front of people. We're not going to tell people about it. But this is something that you can get help with. You can talk to a sponsor or counselor and they will give you some things that can really help you get the victory. 
And if that's the case for you, that you say, I really need some help in a specific area, then we would like to ask you to head towards the back, and there'll be an adult back there that can help you in that area. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you please stand to your feet? I'm going to pray, and at the end of my prayer, the piano is going to begin to play, and when it does, that's when you can take the steps that God has encouraged you today. Father, I thank you that you are unbelievably gracious and unbelievably merciful, and regardless of our failures, you forgive. Lord, I know again we're going to sin, but I know again you're going to forgive, and you're going to provide victory. Help us to obey you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. As the music begins to play, would you take that step? Maybe just to come up here and pray and say, Lord, I'm going to keep short accounts with you. I'm going to come back to you again, and I'm going to confess my sin. Maybe you need to say, hey, look, there's some issues in my life that are deep. And, and I do want help. Well, you can walk to the back. We can, we can help you with that. Maybe you feel like right now it's just not the time. Well, I want to encourage you that it's probably the best time. But just because you walk out of here doesn't mean you can't talk to somebody later. But God is going to work in your heart even after this service. If God is speaking to you about this. You can go to somebody at lunchtime. You can go to somebody at our, our game time this afternoon. You can come talk to me about it. And, and we're going to try to give you some Bible help, some truth that will help your life moving forward. challenge and Lord the the reminder of how gracious you are Lord help us all uh, Lord to return to you again and Lord repeat that process and oh Father thank you for your faithfulness and your forgiveness we do not deserve it and Lord help us to practice this uh, even today and Lord we love you and ask these things in Christ's name